Like all the episodes in this series, this is a love story. But Lisa belongs to that subset of dog lovers, those who'll admit to loving dogs more than they do people. And I need to warn you that this episode contains mentions of a bunch of adult stuff, including drug use, violence and attempted suicide, because this story is about a survivor of all these things and her great dogs. There's also some bad language, so it isn't one for kids. This is Oh My Dog. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes, and this is a story of Lisa and Bubba. Where I had my tent was right in the scrub and I woke up one night and I could feel something wet and the whole of the pond had swelled up and my tent was about two or three inches underwater. I had to battle my way out in the bloody, in the middle of the night. <laughs> it was horrible. If it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't have woke up because she was there whinging. <laughs> then I woke up, felt the water, I was like, what the hell? got up and my foot sunk straight into the dirt. (laughs) No, no. And it was raining, so we had to go sleep up on the toilet that night. I lost everything. Everything got wet and ruined. I just left it all. It was all wet. It was pointless keeping any of it. My whole bag of clothes was just absolutely, like, do you know the smell of swamp water? Yeah. So the lady at the cafe gave us new clothes and stuff. Would that kind of thing happen a bit? You just have to leave stuff. All the time. Give it up. All the time. So Either that or someone will take it off you by knife. That happened to me at um, Fortitude Valley for a blanket. Someone put a knife to my throat for a blanket. Yeah, it was awesome. I'd love being homeless. <laughs> when you spend proper time with these two, Lisa, a woman in her late 40s, and Bubba, a large, healthy, brindle staffy, you notice a current running between them a supersensory awareness, something so powerful that over time it starts to feel like they're one being in two bodies. She was born only like a week or two before my birthday, so I've made her birthday on my birthday. Um, she got my eyes. <laughs> she does, hey. She's got my twerky little sense of humour. Anything we don't have in common is she likes human interaction and I don't. <laughs> she loves pets, I don't. She loves to be touched, I don't. She likes all that, I don't. Apart from that, yeah, she's very spoiled. Look, she's got her own bed, she's got her own blankets, she's got her own toys. She doesn't want for nothing. For the two years of Bubba's life, they've been inseparable, sleeping side by side, and mostly sleeping rough. I used to call my dog my companion. I used to call her my canine or my companion other than call her a dog because I never wanted to offend her. 
Bubba, a strong, gentle girl with shining fur and eyes, is Lisa's companion. I was called a dog many times on the street, and that's the worst thing to, to go through. And, yeah, so when you're a dog, it means that you go to the coppers and you knock everyone out, and that's what I was named quite a few times. Especially when I tried to give up using and stuff like that. Especially then, you get called some nasty names. For around a decade, Lisa had no fixed address. I'd say six years full on of being homeless, living on the streets without a car, without any doors whatsoever at all. But um, if you don't abuse your dog and you don't mistreat your dog, your dog just learns. That's just how it is. You're homeless. You don't have somewhere to go. You just got to tough it out, don't you? Lisa's got a big stash of horror stories to tell about herself and others. They stretch right back to when she was a kid growing up in central Queensland. She first ran away from what was happening there at home when she was 12. Lisa's seen plenty. And she's done plenty. Having said that, 10 years ago, before she went on the streets, Lisa's life in Townsville was fairly stable by her standards. She tells me she had her own work, house and car and didn't want for anything. Lisa raised four kids by herself. They're adults now and she's got grandkids too. In 2007, though, Lisa was also a stepmother to a 13-year-old girl, Jess. That year, the worst thing imaginable happened. Jess was raped, then murdered, by an uncle. It was Lisa who identified Jess's body, and she helped with the funeral arrangements. Jess's murderer was jailed, never to be released. Lisa told me she thought she wasn't entitled to the overwhelming rage and grief she felt back then, that she still feels, because she wasn't Jess's mum, but her stepmum, even though the sweet teenager had called her Lisa, mum. A few months after all that, Lisa walked out of the Townsville house she shared with Jess's dad and hit the highway. First, she drove to Catherine to visit her son. Well, in my mind, I was just going away, but I never came back. I still haven't been back. Can't you try going back to a house that's been... All you see is your, your dead stepdaughters, what she used to do, how she used to do it, her smells, the drawings she used to do. Like, there's a phone pole out the front of the house with her handprint on it. Yeah. She's only a baby. The first time I went round to visit Lisa, it was almost 11 years to the day her world fell apart. Right across Brisbane, there was bright winter sunshine. But behind the double-locked doors of her little house, it was dark. And Lisa, nursing a huge coffee, barely moved from the couch. After initial greetings, Bubba sat, a sentinel, at Lisa's feet, responding to any upset in Lisa's voice with little whines. And it's August. It's a hard month. It always is a hard month. Yeah. Cos you're like, you go through the steps leading up to it and shit. Yeah, it just... Oh, God. Ever since just they reckon that I've changed. I don't... Cos I used to be angry. I used to, like, have so much anger in me. And now it's just like I'm just... 
don't care anymore. Lisa pulled up a YouTube video, a memorial to Jess, for me to watch. But we quickly turned it off. And though she was determined to keep talking, one of her hands worried at her trousers, brushing, brushing, brushing her leg. Perhaps Lisa's hand would normally be stroking Bubba if I wasn't sitting in her spot. Sometimes I have high days and sometimes I have low days and sometimes I just have days. And every day this week has just been a really low day. Does that change how Bubba is around you? Bubba just, like, she goes really quiet and leaves me alone when I'm like this. Just wants to lay beside me and stuff. I've been to hell and back and not one person has been there for me. Except for my dog. My dog never leaves my side. And in the in the the darkest of times, that's when she sits there and she's like starts to talk to me and stuff like she never leaves my side. By her own reckoning, having a dog is what's kept Lisa alive in recent years. I tried to commit suicide a few times. And if I didn't try it, I at least thought it every day. And I don't anymore. Well, not as much. Because? Bubba. No-one will take care of Bubba the way I do. Nobody can take care of Bubba, not even my daughters. Like, Bubba's family to them, but I don't know. Nobody would look after her like that, as simple as that. And she'd probably have a heart attack if I wasn't around. I talk to Bubba like I'm talking to you right now, and she sits here. She talks back in a way, even though she doesn't talk back, she does. Like, sometimes she actually does talk to me. Like, she'll sit there and vocally talk. <laughs> and that's what she does. Sometimes, like, when I talk too long, she'll put her head down and ignore me. But then she'll wag her tail to know that she's there. I'm all right now. I've got Bubba. She keeps me sane takes all the bad away. Before she had Bubba, when Lisa had just started roaming the country and her life was wild and loose and angry, Lisa had another dog, the famous Cooter. I was on Gumtree and it just popped up that this dog was for giveaway, so I rang him up and she said, yep, she still had the dog, so I asked her if I could go around. She said, yep. And when I seen Cooter, he was beautiful, purebred, Blue American stuff, worth a fortune, and I would never be able to afford a dog like that. And I said to her, why don't, why don't you want him? He's beautiful. And she put her head down. She said, because it's so embarrassing. I said, what's that? She said, because his thing, he's got a really large thing and it sticks out all the time. <laughs> and I just can't have it. I just It just makes me sick, so I, I can't do it. So I'm giving him away while my husband's at work. And it was, it was massive. Lots of people used to comment on it, like how big it was. Seriously, <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. He was all like dark brown, but he had that silvery blue, like when he sits in the sun and that you can see that he actually had like a grey colour over his fur, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like a sheen. A, like a, yeah, it was beautiful. And he had a big white chest, pretty much the same as Bubba's, but bigger. Yeah, everyone wanted him. 
And he used to love horses. He used to love, because we were homeless at, at the race course in uh, Redcliffe. And every fucking morning, Kudo would be missing and I'd go find him and there he'd be running around the track trying to race the horses. He could run, geez, he could run, he was so fast. He was a good dog, but far out, he was such a good dog. Lisa and Cooter spent three chaotic, intense years between Adelaide and Queensland, living in a clapped-out two-door Datsun, and when they had to give that up, wherever they could find shelter. They were each other's constant companions, until Lisa went into rehab for a few weeks. When she came out, she fell straight back into old habits. And one day, someone Lisa trusted with Cooter offered them a place to crash. This house was to be demolished and they'd just taken up residency in there. And they lit incense and candles and that and made it all nice and cosy. And well, I crashed it. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I was out. How long do you reckon you slept? I slept for at least two days. Well, I hadn't been asleep for, like, weeks on end. Like, not even for couples, a couple of hours. And I woke up and had no clothes and no dog. They took everything. I was on drugs, like, every day that I was homeless. It was fun. But, it would, yeah, it made it easy for them to take my dog. Lisa says both her dogs could always tell when she was using. And yes, the canines used to hate it. Heaps. Bubba. Bubba used to just not want nothing to do with me. She'd sit there and she'd... She'd sit there and look at me like that, but her eyes would be, like, sunken right down. Like she was disappointed every big time. I just... Just couldn't say no to the drugs. It just made the days easier. Lisa was devastated to lose Cooter, her best and only mate. She knew who took him, and she also knew she'd never get him back. It was a few years until Lisa got another dog, and Bubba has a slightly different origin story. Lisa was dossing for a while with a family whose bitch had a litter of puppies. I stole her. I took her because they were mistreating her. The little boy where she used to stay, I caught him picking her up one day and he actually kicked her with his foot. About three or four metres she went. The whole time I was there, I was in their place for about five weeks. This one here would always come behind me and sit right behind my back. Every time she always knew that I'd protect her away from their mothers. Even the owner of the dog, it was rain, it was pissing down rain, it was around Christmas time, and um, the puppies and that weren't allowed to come inside. They had to stay outside in the rain and the cold, and I was forever trying to make shelter for them so they had somewhere warm to go. But, yes, every time she used to come to me, she'd go, hey, Baba. Doesn't mean it as in her name. With all the other puppies, I'd you know, call them Baba as well. And then, yeah, it just stuck. And so... When they kicked me out because I wouldn't give them any more money, I took her with me. Lay down on your bed. Baba. Thank you. 
Don't look at me like that. No, do as you're told. Those eyes on me. Oh, she tells me to go and get stuff most of the time, don't worry. She doesn't like being told what to do. <laughs> but obviously she does what she's told. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no treats for naughty girls, hey? Slightly to my surprise, Lisa tells me countless times that she and Bubba found it easy being homeless. Don't ever let anyone tell you that it's it's not easy because it is just very easy. Especially when it comes to getting stuff. Like you can go into the One Street nightclub, pick up clothes, a toilet bag, it's got everything you need in it, like your Rex owner. You get given stuff. Her dogs were homeless too, she points out. But most services won't give extra food for dogs. I was. Like, being homeless, it's hard to carry around a bag of dog food. So I'd give her whatever I ate all the time. And then I got in trouble by the vet because dogs aren't supposed to eat human food. It really is bad for their intestines, their system. So what sort of stuff were you giving her? If I had bacon and eggs for brekkie, I'd give her half of it. No matter what I had, I'd give her half of it every time. Having a dog meant there would never be a bed for Lisa at a shelter or a refuge. And pets aren't allowed in rehab centres either. But there were those who recognised their need. The Salvos, whose land she and Bubba would camp on. Bubba got sick one morning, like, not just sick, but she wouldn't, she couldn't even walk. She'd try to stand her up and she couldn't even walk. And because I was staying at the Salvos, on the Salvos ground in a tent, um, they offered to take her to the vet for me. Luckily, otherwise she would have died. She had paralysis too. An amazing woman called Kathy, who runs a volunteer service for pets of the homeless. She gave Lisa proper dog food for Bubba every month or so, and still does. And there was one mysterious benefactor who'd observed Lisa and Bubba going into the same cafe each morning. There's one fellow there, it makes me tear up. Uh, he, bought, he used to get dog food for her to leave dog food there. And then one day he left a card there with a blank check and it was to take Bubba in and get her microchipped and, yeah, taken care of. So we done that. Got your chip put in so now no one can steal you. He used to watch me and Bubba go in and out of the scrub every day and went to the cafe and asked what, what the go was because I'd always walk straight into the cafe. And, yeah, Nikki told him that we were homeless and, yeah, so he done that. And we thought that was awesome. After Lisa's blunt take on how much helps out there for the homeless, I have to ask, what's the stuff you can't get? <laughs> Peace of mind, rest, good people. You just learn when you're homeless not to trust anybody. The hardest part about being homeless is when everything closes down come five o'clock get hit with that sadness of fucking, what the fuck do I do now? Where the fuck do I go now? Being lonely can't be easy. I've been lonely all my life, mate. Being on the receiving end of handouts was a place of shame for Lisa too. Yeah, I never told people I was homeless when I was homeless. I only tell them now that I'm not homeless because it's like I feel like I've achieved something by getting this place. This is the first proper home Lisa's had since Jess died. They told me that they wouldn't be able to house me because I had Bubba. So I told them that's okay, I'll stay homeless. 
And when I said that, they realised I really meant it. I would stay homeless. I'm not giving my baby up for nobody. There was another place, a false start, but this one's feeling like a keeper. When I go back for a second visit, six weeks after the first, Lisa's rearranged the furniture and her whole mood's shifted as well. Bubba, who's on heat, is wearing a nappy and just as friendly as ever. I haven't been happy until just in the last few weeks of being in this place. I got that photo back from my daughter. That's an old photo. I haven't seen that in years. Like, I've got me pink poster up and I went to see pink. Oh, God. That was so good. But, yeah, so, like, this place is coming together as a home now. Stuff's going up everywhere and it's, it's actually feeling like a home. And Bubba, she loves it. She is not a dog that'll go out in the yard and be out there all day. But when she is out there, she loves it. She runs around, she does it. She just loves the yard. And Lisa's made big changes since getting a house. Like, I've been good. I used to be a junkie when I was on the, on the streets. And I haven't had nothing since I've been here. Like, it's, it's unreal. And I didn't think I'd ever give it up because I was that bad on it. But now, 16 stone later... That doesn't matter, though. Hush your ears. Don't listen to that. <laughs> That's a lie. Doesn't matter. Hey, mummy's a fatty pumba. But here's the crux of Lisa's dilemma. She's appointed herself a chaperone. Baba. Because without a dog... The difference was I was free to do what I wanted to do. The difference when I've got her is I'm grounded now, can't do, and go certain places. I used to get in a lot of trouble because I could go wherever I wanted to and do whatever I wanted to. But because I can't get on trains and buses and things with her, it makes it a lot different. I can't take her wherever I want to take her. But now Lisa wants to work, go back to hotel cleaning, the work she did for years up north managing several contracts and hiring other workers. Supporting myself is something I've always done and being like this is something that um, I haven't really experienced that much of. In my dream, I'd like to have a car so I can go back to work. I love work. I actually do like it. Even though it's only cleaning, I like it. But everyone's turning me down because I've got no car. So I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. In lots of ways, it it looks like a catch-22 this challenge of living a straight life after long detours and outright car crashes. But something that's really apparent is how unbroken Lisa is deep down, in spite of every awful thing that's happened to her. I reckon this survival has to have something to do with the fact that because of Bubba, every day Lisa receives and gives love in abundant amounts. What are dogs better at doing than people are? Loving. Because it's true, honest love. It's not fake. That's it. I've been through a bit of shit in my life for me to not trust people. I don't just not trust them because it's just a cool thing to do. I would rather be able to trust people, you know, and have people come into my life and stuff, but I just can't do it. Like, I could never get the love I get from her, from a man or a woman, ever. And she just loves me so much. Don't you, Bubba? And when I go away for a couple of hours and come back, it's like I've been away for a month. <laughs> it's like, hang on, let me go out and come back in again. <laughs> that was awesome. My sincere thanks to Lisa for trusting me with her story. 
If hearing this story has left you feeling overwhelmed or just needing to talk, there is always someone who can listen, always. In Australia, you can call Lifeline 24 hours. Their number is 13 11 14. We've also put a bunch of links to very useful organisations on our website, including some who help out people and dogs who are homeless, and I'm sure they could use your support too. This show was written and produced by me, Michelle Ransom-Hughes, for Alongside Radio. The sound design, original music and the mix of Oh My Dog are the work of Sayer Vogel. Thanks as always to script consultant Lee Redfern. Thanks to Phil, to Dylan, to Simon and special thanks this episode to Jay Kranz. This has been the final episode of our first season. If you haven't already heard the others with David, Kate and Mick, I strongly urge you to go back and have a listen. And if you like what we've made so far and you want to help us to make another season, we could definitely use your help. You can help for free just by sharing Oh My Dog with other people. We love that. Maybe you can chuck us a few dollars, you can donate via the website, or maybe you've got an ethical business and you'd like to sponsor us for season two. And if you think you've got a great story, we genuinely want to hear about you and your dogs, so please get in touch. Just find us at ohmydogpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to, supporting, sharing, enjoying Oh My Dog. It's been bloody wonderful and we can't wait to bring you more love stories. 